It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. You could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download the app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and uh, just follow the directions, you could be listening uh, on either station right across the country at any time of day on any device of your choice. Uh, So uh, please feel uh, free to do so. Or if you know someone outside of our listening areas that you think might be interested in hearing some of our programming, Please, by all means, share that information with them, and they can listen at their leisure and also uh, catch any of our uh, recordings of our interviews. They are posted on uh, SoundCloud as well as on our website, so uh, give us a couple of days once an interview uh, goes to the air, and uh, they are posted up there for people to go back to and listen to. I would like to welcome my first guest to the show today. Speaking of uh, the greater uh, country and uh, listening outside of our area, this guest uh, is uh, actually, she was born and raised in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, but uh, her uh, her heritage is both British and Inuk, and I am speaking to uh, Lakaluk Williamson Bathroy. She is in the studio with me, and it's a pleasure to have her here. Thank you. Oh, yes, I know that one ah. from my time I spent up in uh, Iqaluit and also in uh, Arviat. In, in Akviat, of course, they say makwa. Matna. Matna. That's mm-hmm. it. See, I'm forgetting it already, but it's <laughs> been quite a while since I've been there. Uh, yes, thanks for reminding me. Matna is correct. So, um, Lakaluk, you are here because you are performing uh, at the Harborfront uh, Center coming up very shortly. Mm-hmm. And you have a show which I said I would let you pronounce because I just can't get my, na- my <laughs> <laughs> tongue around it. Sure. Yeah, we have a new show that's called Ikumagialit which means those that need fire. And mm. it's also the uh, the generic term for those oil lamps that mm. Inuit light mm-hmm. for special occasions and also the lamp that kept us warm and, yes. and allowed us to cook our food. Yes. It's the hearth of our households. Now, is that, you You just said two things there. Mm. You said it was one, uh, a source of light and heat mm-hmm. that you use, but is it, a, is it a different kind of lamp that you use that you said you burn on special occasions? Or is it the N- same No, one? so... Here's the thing about these stone lamps. There's one called a qutluq mm-hmm. and one called an atluq. So the qutluq is one that is um, used on the sleeping bench. And it uh, provides most of the light for uh, for a traditional uh, dwelling. Mm. And then the atluq is the lamp that's on the floor that provided most of the heat as mm. well as uh, the cooking source. So those are the two different types of oil lamps. Together, they're called ikumagialit, which mm. is the name of our show. And uh, can you tell me how long do they burn for? Because you use, I guess it's whale, whale uh, yes. oil or fat. Yeah, um, any kind of oil um, from any kind of um, okay. sea mammal. Yep. Yes, and it depends. You can have a, a tiny one that's used for hunting, mm. and people would build just a little. A little igloo to mm. stay warm for the night with mm-hmm. a tiny little qutluk mm-hmm. or asluk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've lit ones that are a meter long. Wow. You know, huge ones. Wow. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating. And they are they are beautiful lamps. Mm, they are they really very are. special. And they're made of stone. 
Yes. I mean, there's some people, I mean, carved out of soapstone, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some people that take a frying pan, cut it in half, <laughs> and tamper with the metal, and it turns into a, a very good, warm khutluk. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Something to, good to know in case you're ever trapped up in the north, I guess, and, and needs that heat. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, of course, you've been, uh, we're here to talk about uh, something else. I guess this is part of the performance that we're going to see, is sort of the... the uh, the Greenlandic mask dancing, is yes. that right? Yes, um, Wailnuk. Yes, Wailnuk. And uh, what, uh, you know, it's something I want, I want to tell you because I did a little bit of research on this after I saw some of the things that you'd done with this. Mm. And um, it, it brought me back to my time at university, and I'll tell you why. W- I studied theater at university, and it introduced me to some things I did not, I was not aware of at the mm. time. And the one thing that I thought about that, that I felt this was akin to s- in some ways was the, the, the practice on the east coast of Canada, mummering. Oh, right. And because it's not something we're familiar with, uh, that we don't see a lot of. And I'm not sure how familiar people are with that mummering mm. uh, and how, how, uh, you know, how it takes place on the east coast still. But um, I was fascinated by that whole, that whole uh, uh, mummering uh, you know, thing that happens out there. Mm-hmm. Just as I was when I saw this Greenlandic mask dancing, fascinated. Mm. I, I was absolutely fascinated, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is really very cool," um, and it's very striking. Of course, it's very powerful, mm. and uh, it's very simple in so many ways that it is it is put together. Now, I happen to see a video of you uh, actually preparing yourself for putting the mask on. Mm-hmm. It's a great uh, video because I really love the way. Uh, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to give the way the whole thing because I think it's a it's a wonderful thing that you did there. But uh, it looks like first you prepare your your face by putting some kind of a base on before mm-hmm. you even put the the mask on. Yeah, um, Vaseline. <laughs> hey, Vaseline. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I use theater paints, mm. uh, and I actually got an awful lot of great tips from uh, some drag queens about how to mm. use paint so that I don't destroy my face yeah. and be able to do it again the next sure. day. But uh, the mask uh, in pre the pre theater paint era yes. uh, was uh, made with that same oil mm. uh, from the mm. oil lamp. Yeah. Uh, as well uh, mixed with soot and oh, yeah. with blood. Mm. Now, um, uh, you can go online and you can see this. Um, you can see, like, look, uh, William Bathroy, if you go and, and uh, just uh, Google her and you'll see this video, you can watch it. It's very fascinating about how she puts this mask on mm. and uh, creates the mask. Um, it, it's, it's quite, uh, it's quite, quite beautiful, as I said, and I love the way that halfway through, uh, you then reverse the video. <laughs> and then, of course, it's, it's taking the mask off. And it's a beautiful process mm. to watch. It's silent, so don't be surprised if you don't hear any sound. It That's is right. meant to be silent. And just focus on the, pr- the preparation of, of creating that mask. Now, I'll tell you that that is only half the process of creating this. Now, um, the other thing I found was you actually doing a, a presentation mm. uh, at McGill University oh. some years ago. Mm-hmm. And that w- even opened my eyes more mm. to this whole idea of this Greenlandic uh, um, uh, mask dancing. Uwailnuk. Uwailnuk. And um, I'll keep trying my best to pronounce that. 
so that gave me, of course, the background mm. of of the whole idea of why this is created and what it's meant to do and, and why it is, is there. Now, although it's called Greenlandic mask dancing, mm-hmm. um, that, of course, I guess encompasses the entire um, northern uh, hemisphere. Um, yeah, I mean, Inuit live in uh, four different nations um, in Siberia, mm-hmm. uh, part of Russia, mm-hmm. and Alaska, part of the States, in Canada here, mm-hmm. uh, as well as in Greenland. Uh, but uh, despite these colonial political yes. borders, we all share one culture yep. and uh, we have one very diverse language um, where many of the stems of words are similar from one end to the other end of our, our homelands. And a lot of the performance and a lot of the stories have that same stem, as it were, you know, the the, the same root that allows us to uh, express ourselves as Inuit. And you mentioned mummery. Um, mm. That's actually like the idea of uh, being a contrarian, um, uh, turning things inside out is mm. definitely uh, similar to mm. what I do with why or what Wailnuk is. But it's actually a separate thing because uh, in Greenland, we also do uh, what is called Midanuk on the January 6th, the okay. same day that they do that in Newfoundland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's um, you show up at people's houses <laughs> yeah. and without saying anything exactly. to yeah. scare them and your hosts give you something to drink and to eat. Yeah. But so that, it's different again from Wailnuk. Cool. Yeah, but it, interesting that, that those two are... Are related somehow yeah. in, in that way, mm-hmm. showing up at people's houses surprisingly and, and doing these things. Now, the mask, as I say, is only part of, of doing this, creating the mask. And I guess it's a personalized thing that you create. You create that mask however you feel like it. That's right. right? Yeah. And, and what's beautiful about it, as I mentioned earlier, the simplicity of it is mm-hmm. that you prepare this, you put this, it ends up being a black face. And there's a reason for it being mm-hmm. black, and I'm, I'll let you explain that in a moment. And uh, and then it's just a matter of taking your fingers and fingernails specifically, I guess, mm-hmm. and creating those marks uh, across your face to draw lines and create that uh, that that uh, the, the patterns that that appear on the face. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I guess that also doesn't dry. No, it's grease paint. Yeah, so yeah. you got to be careful with not brushing up against it or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I found it very interesting to learn about why. Uh, it it is th- you create this blackface, and mm. it, it I believe it's a r- representation of what we don't know in the universe. Is That's that right. Correct. Yeah. So everybody who does well not does it in their own way. Mm. Um, there's different different types of masks and different. Co- I mean, some people only do part of their face in black and mm. red and designs. Some people like me like to turn their face completely black before they put patterns in. It's all up to the individual mm. performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, it's very different from blackface. Of course it is, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. It has nothing to do no. with, with any of that racism whatsoever. And, and it reminds me, to, to, to some degree, also to the uh, Maori, mm. you know, in terms of the way it is in your face. Mm, mm. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so the, the blackness, uh, which originally comes from soot from mm. our lamps, mm-hmm. Uh, is a symbol uh, of many different things. First of all, in Inuit culture, black is seen as a magical color mm. because you take any witch color uh, and any material, you throw it into a fire, and what color does it turn? <laughs> so it has this transform- yeah. transformatory quality nice. to it. Yeah, yeah. But it's also a symbol of 
um, how modest we have to be as human beings mm-hmm. uh, when we try and contemplate the enormity of the universe. Mm-hmm. We have such wisdom uh, in in our hunting and in our philosophy and in our feeding and sowing and so on, uh, um, in our sciences. But that's just scratching the surface of what is possible in this universe. So we, we have to be humble about who we are. And that's what the blackness symbolizes. Right. And of course, there are other things that uh, that the whole uh, dance represents. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhat frightening or scary. Mm-hmm. It is also humorous. And there's also uh, there's the element of sexuality that comes across in it as well. And And that was one thing I really liked about that wonderful performance at McGill uh-huh. where you really did take that and, and uh, you took it right into the faces of these people and, and confronted them. And, and I love that it, you, you also accompanied yourself with the drum in uh-huh. doing that. Mm. And, you know, I thought that was, that was really quite a lovely, uh, uh, and I, I like the fact that you also introduced that to the people uh, there so they had a sense of what they could an- you know anticipate, by, by anticipate <laughs> of what what they're going to see and participate in mm. because it becomes participatory in that regard mm-hmm. well i mean half of the performance comes from the person wearing the mask the other half comes from the audience mm. uh, and so when people are watching the interactions between me and an audience member they are taking in both of those aspects of uh, giving and receiving mm. that goes both ways right uh, and Yes, it is. A, in many ways, it's a, a, a simple thing where you kind of take humanity apart into those three different aspects of, of presenting f- something that's either fearsome or that you're fearful of, mm. um, using a sense of humor as, um, well, as a survival technique uh, for all the things that we go through in mm. life and the, and the play with sexuality. Mm-hmm. So you can you can make that into like a. a the simple display of um, many elements of humanity, but when you combine them all, of course, it's very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is, um is about celebrating each of us as sexual beings. And I think that in this process of decolonizing ourselves, this is essential to remember that uh, especially the the Christian church that has done so much missionary work and religious conversion all across the Arctic has made it so that our sexuality is supposed to be categorized, Mm. especially into good and bad, and guess who gets to be good, and guess who has the Mm. unfortunate inheritance of being bad. Mm. So while Nuk reminds us of our essential humanity, that each of us have our own sexuality that does not belong to any category, Mm. and if you go through your life respecting yourself mm. and respecting everyone around you, you can, you can um, allow your sexuality to bloom as much as you allow others. Mm. It has nothing to do with uh, somebody else's label for you. Mm. It belongs to you. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful message and uh, one I think the world could still learn more about. That's for sure. Um, now, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest in the studio with me is... Lakuluk Williamson Bathory. Thank you, Lakuluk. Uh, I don't say enough of the, these kind of words mm. to remember how to pronounce them every time. But um, And, and uh, Lakuluk is here with me talking about uh, her upcoming performance. What we've been talking about a lot of is the kind of dance that 
mm. will be seen tomorrow night uh, or uh, at the harbor front in your performance of of Ikumagialit. And thank you for that. And uh, I guess it will will it be similar to what the kind of things that we've been discussing in terms of that kind of in your face kind of a Absolutely. presentation. Yeah, while well, nook is um, it's a cornerstone of my artistic practice, mm. and I bring it with me wherever I go as as one of my tools. Yeah. And it's really wonderful. And, and of course, there's a couple of ways you can see this if you're not able to make it to the harbor front in, in order to see mm-hmm. uh, Laka Luke perform. She uh, she has some some online presentations. Of course, mm-hmm. your 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 uh, involvement with Tanya Tagak uh, mm-hmm. and, and her uh, videos. Um, wow, that's a that's a, a great introduction for people to see if mm-hmm. they want to see it. Now, it, it really shows that in your face kind of a thing. <laughs> and. You know, there's something else we haven't talked about with the mask, of course. There's still some other elements. The color of red and also the, uh, the white right. lines that are made in the mask representing, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the an- your ancestors' bones. That's right. Yeah, so it is very in your face. Uh, and there's all sorts of double meanings to that because it is a mask. Mm. Uh, and the redness is a symbol of female genitalia. Yes. Um, and we put bulges in our cheeks, yes. which is a representation of male genitalia. Right. So you have genitals right on your face, <laughs> and you push that into people's <laughs> faces. Um, as a reminder that uh, we have so many combinations mm. of identity mm. and, uh, and that we uh, have these very base aspects of our anatomy that are to be celebrated mm. in every which form. Mm. Um, yes, and, and uh, the lines in the face are, are the uh, symbols of the respect that we pay to our ancestors. Yes, and all of those aspects are, are part of Ikumagialit. Uh, the show itself is uh, um, co-creation between four women, um, two of us being Inuit, Christine Tutu and I. And then Chris Dirksen uh, is a cellist, pre-cellist. Oh, she's wonderful. I she love her. Is, oh. She's Incredible. great. I got to get her on the show. I've been yes, wanting to get should. her on the show. <laughs> She's <laughs> just down the street right now doing sound check. <laughs> and uh, also Jamie Griffiths, who is um, English Canadian based in the Kaluit. And the four of us uh, use our different uh, aspects of our artistic practice to make this this show Ikumagialit. Mm. Uh, and it's about how much pressure we face as these intersectional women uh, to give up. You know, to escape, to fly mm. away, mm. Uh, because of patriarchy, colonization, homophobia, um, um, self hatred, body image issues—all mm. those kind of mm. things. There's so much pressure on women just to be quiet, give it up, drink some mom pops or whatever, right? Mm. But uh, we dare each other to sink down to the roots of our issues. So that down at the bottom, we can do the the mending and the healing and the bonding and the cooperation that needs to be done in order for us to overthrow these very virulent types of um, of hegemony that we face as women. Mm. Uh, and throughout the show, we have this uh, helping spirit that comes to us in the form of an agvik. You said you spent time in agviad. Mm. Avik is a bowhead whale. Ah, okay. And so the bowhead whale comes as this massive creature Mm. with huge lungs that's able to sink right down to the bottom of the ocean. And that large whale forces us to do so. Mm. So uh, 
all the elements of our of our humanity and our emotions and the pressures and and the challenge that we give each other as women um, are present as well as uailnuk and uh, different types of angakok practices, spiritual practices that Inuit have always had, and in this very small colonial period, we we haven't had practice in it for a while. Mm. When uh, when are children introduced to this kind of dance? Um, um, children are huge aspects of our uh, social kinship life mm. from um, from birth to death. Mm. Children are everywhere, mm. and uh, it's up to each parent to decide how much exposure a child gets to any sort of a thing. But uh, sexuality is not hidden from kids. Mm. Uh, so that they can, they can learn in, in age-appropriate ways about their anatomy, mm. about their emotions, about relationships, mm. um, uh, so that they can continue to live safe, wholesome lives. Mm. And uh, it's something that we, again, have to take out of the, the wreck that colonization and religious conversion has done to many of our different peoples across um, indigenous homelands mm. uh, where... Uh, sexual abuse has really destroyed many, many people's lives. Mm. Uh, but doing, s- exposing children to things like uayilnuk from mm. our own culture that is a celebration of sexuality helps mend so many different things. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I, I, and again, um, is there like a formal process or is it just a, a sort of an organic thing that people do once they you know, get to the point where they want to, to start partic- participating in this? Uh, uh, in performing while mm. it's um, a combination of both. Now, um, there's a pre-Christian era of while and then in Greenland, there's uh, been a 300 regime of Christianity, mm. uh, and then there's a like um, uh, the post-colonial decolonizing aspect of while Um and so that era started in the 1970s mm. when Greenland was going through the process of uh, claiming self-determination and creating self-government um, to bring itself away from, from Danish colonial rule. And mass dancing was a really big part of uh, reminding Inuit to look inward a- instead of feeling the colonial force on their bodies. Uh, so there's a combination of uh, people just deciding to do something fun, funny at a party uh, or uh, something like happened to me when I was a 13-year-old. My mother and another Greenlandic artist basically decided to apprentice me mm. in mass dancing. And then there's another more formal route where it's taught at the um, the National Greenlandic Theatre School. Mm. So you can take all sorts of workshops that talk about the the elements and how to move your body right. and how to propel yourself as an individual doing these very fearsome, hilarious, sexy things in front of people. <laughs> and where is that located? Where is that? Nunatdesi Natitisafia is in Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I guess... Um, You've mentioned all the colors, and we talked about white. We talked about uh, the different things that it represents. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I, I have one question. I was, you, you put these balls in your mouth. Mm. What are they made of? What, what kind of? They're made out of uh, petrified testicles from my great-great-grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know where she got them from. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, hard to come by, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some of that sense of humor. So, um, but I mean, you know, what do they? What do you use now? Are they like plastic balls? What, is, what kind of things? No, I use wooden. A wooden <laughs> one. Okay. It, you know, it really does transform the face, and it really does make it. And I really love that idea of of as you say, wearing that sexuality on your face. Yes. And and that it just brings it right out there, <laughs> and and that's I think such a healthy. Uh, wonderful way to celebrate things. Absolutely. Yeah. It is healthy. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate all of that. Uh, is there anything else we should know about the show that we haven't talked yeah, about? Yeah, it's uh, tomorrow night, December 12th at 8 p.m. Um, it is pretty much sold out, mm. but if you show up early, there's going to most likely be rush seats. Mm. And I would love everybody to be there, everybody that wants to, to come and have this um, this big experience with us. And it sounds wonderful with the four of you taking part in this. Mm. Uh, and you said 8 o'clock? What time? 8 p.m. 8 yes. p.m. is what time it starts. So if you want to get there early, you might want to get there a couple of hours early mm. uh, in order to possibly get some of the rush seats that might be available. Now, what about beyond this? What have you got coming up? What's going on? Um, so Ikumagia Lit is a brand new show. Uh, we just um, did an artist in residency in September at Kagyavut, which is the Inuit Performing Arts Society that I work mm. for in Ghaluit. Mm. And we premiered the show at the National Gallery of Canada three weeks ago in Ottawa. And now we've come here to Toronto to nice. share it here. And uh, we're going to take it back into um, um, something that we need to nurture and mm. uh, develop and grow a bit. But um, the are uh, my another play of mine called Ginalik that I co-wrote with um, Evelyn Perry, the artistic director of Buddies and Bad Times Theater here in Great. Toronto. Uh, many of us are going to Ottawa to the National Arts Center to do that a run of that show in January. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been so wonderful having you here on the show. We appreciate you taking the time to come in out of your busy schedule. Mm. Wish you all the best with the, the show and uh, your continued success with all of the things that you're doing. And uh, let's hope that we can uh, that we can uh, get this out there more in the general public uh, because it is such a, a beautiful and uh, just just very theatrical and very fun mm. way of uh, a participatory uh, sort of in, uh, engaging uh, theatrical uh, sort of performance. Wailnook. And uh, that is what it's called, is Greenlandic Mask Dancing. I can't help but think about uh, when I hear g- Greenlandic, uh, the circumpolar you know, because that's what the the entire area is is that's I think right. known as. Mm-hmm. I remember that from when I was up there, and I also remember how the maps were completely different, mm-hmm. uh, and rightfully so. Uh, looking at it from the north down, uh, it's a very different uh, view of North America, uh, at least uh, from this part of the that's of right. the world. Way down south here. 
Lakuluk Williamson Bathroy is an artist that, that applies her study uh, to Wailnook, the Greenlandic mask dancing and understanding of Inuit philosophies into making genres from performance, art, and theater to writing and uh, uh, choreographical work. And of course, uh, performing at the uh, Harborfront Theater. Soon, as we mentioned earlier, she mentioned that she was in Ottawa, so uh, I won't say it will be coming there soon because it was already there, but uh, um, go online, check out uh, Like a Look and see the work that she's done, and specifically, uh, you can see a number of things. You can see how the mask is put together. Um, you can also see uh, some of her performances, uh, in particular, that she did with a music video with uh, Tanya Tagak, mm-hmm. which is wonderful as well. Mm-hmm. That video, that was for... Not can you help us out with that, Andrew? Retribution. Retribution. <laughs> thank you. Retribution. We go through the R's enough. We'll get I it. I love her. Retribution. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you, uh, uh, Koyanami, for coming in and uh, participating in our program here oh, at Element FM. Koyanami. And uh, so great. So don't go away. We'll be right back here on Element FM right after this with more. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. And you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app if you download the app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And you could be listening on your device of choice uh, anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if there's someone outside of our listening area that you think might enjoy our programming, please, by all means, let them know about that option. And also, just to let you know, uh, if you've missed one of our interviews and uh, you think, oh, I wish I could have caught that, well, you can always go to our website at elmntfm.ca. It is, uh, will be posted on our website as well as on SoundCloud. I'd like to welcome my next guests to the show. Uh, Sky Bridges, the Chief Operating Officer at APTN. He was promoted to Chief Operating Officer in June of 2011 after serving as the Director of Marketing for APTN in the beginning of 2007, and uh, it's great to have him here on the show. I'd also like to welcome with him on the line Jennifer David. She is the programming manager for, I believe if I got this right, Jennifer, you'll have to correct me if I get it wrong, uh, for InVision, for the the National Indigenous Music Impact Study, and they are here to talk to us about that. So this is related uh, to music, but it's also related to APTN, because it is the uh, InVision uh, group that that took over this uh, this this study to uh, bring it forward. So welcome both to, of you to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yes, me too. Uh, did I get that okay, Jennifer? Did I did I get that information correct? <laughs> yeah. So so I, I work for a consulting company called Envision Insight Group, and we submitted a proposal to APTN to carry out this national indigenous uh, music impact study that APTN had put out and wanted to do. Now the uh, it came so out. I can can talk about the sort of methodology and the approach that we took to gather the information for the study. But Sky is it's actually APTN study, so Sky will talk about the study itself. Well, why don't we start there, Sky? Uh, why don't you Why don't you tell us about why you thought it was important to uh, look into this and, and bring this forward? 
Absolutely. So you know what? Uh, APTN has a long history of supporting uh, musicians and artists through television shows. And of course, uh, film and television goes hand in hand with music. And in particular, Indigenous Day Live, which is a television show uh, to celebrate uh, National and Indigenous Day in Canada, has been doing that for about 14 years now. Um, through my experience on that show and seeing these amazing artists year over year, I couldn't help to start to wonder and ask the question as I started to uh, observe our artists' careers um, uh, grow in talent that uh, I started to wonder about, you know, uh, what are their challenges in terms of growing their business? Uh, and, and through that, I started to ask around and look for data and market information on the current state of Indigenous music in Canada. And I couldn't find anything in existence. And, you know, I think with anything, especially in business, especially on a national scale, you know, if you don't measure it, it doesn't get done. You don't really have a clear understanding of, of where we're at. And APTN wanted to be able to uh, support Indigenous artists and find out, you know, where are those opportunities to help the industry grow. So given the fact that there wasn't any national data available, we decided that really the first step was to commission the first ever um, Indigenous music impact study. And so there were some assumptions that I had about, um, you know, why maybe some of our Indigenous artists aren't growing uh, in the business as quickly as I thought they could because the product is fantastic mm -hmm. in terms of their art and what they're doing. And, and so um, the study uncovered some, um, some of those challenges and, and, and really in that the opportunities to help this industry grow further. Okay, now that leads us to a number of, of questions um, let's start, though, going back to you, because you were, you were sort of key in developing the Indigenous Day Live with APTN, and so, uh, which, as you say, has been wonderful, has been successful, and it's been a great way to bring talent forward. Um, what from, from that, from being involved with that, as you say, has started to, to bring up some of those questions, um, did, you, did you get a chance to talk with individual artists about, that, about their art or about their music uh, business side of things in terms of what they knew about uh, how they were you know, uh, being able to uh, get their music out or, or uh, register their music or those kind of things? Yeah, you know, I was having, you know, conversations uh, with artists, you know, throughout the years to find out where they are in their business. And a lot of what I was hearing is just, you know, the challenge around the uh, business infrastructure uh, in supporting music. And what I mean by that is everything from um, artist management services to uh, stage, you know, management services, touring services. I mean, many artists today, um, they have to be, be their own entrepreneurs. Of course. And, and many, of, many of the artists, you know, in that, they, say, they would say to me, you know, like, I'm great at my art, but I'm having to learn, you know, business uh, and growing it and doing it myself, and there's a lack of supportive infrastructure uh, with, with, with artists. Um, and so, really, uh, fundamentally, that is also what the study kind of points to in, in terms of the challenge and the opportunities is, is uh, people in the business on the music side who want to work with artists and help them, and help them grow. Yeah, that's interesting that you point that out. Of course, uh, it is a business. It, music business is wonderful. We love to hear the music. We, it's great that we have artists that create fabulous stuff for us to listen to, for us to see, uh, and, and all of those things. But for the artists themselves, uh, they, there is that, that business side of things, which perhaps uh, in many cases 
the creative types in us are, are not necessarily the best at doing or thinking about because they just want to focus on their art and creation and performance, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, the industry as a whole, as, as you look past the last 15 you know, years has gone through tremendous change. I mean, you know, we live now in a, in a digital universe, uh, and and with that, there has been a lack or a, a vacuum of investment from record labels wanting to invest in artists just because the industry has completely shifted. And so, you know, the artist today, in terms of how uh, they can build uh, business success, is very different from what it was 15 to 20 years ago. But having said that, it's created a new opportunity. Uh, it's created a new opportunity for new businesses to come forward to uh, understand the, the digital environment that we find ourselves in and help those artists grow. I mean, in essence, artists can become now more closer to their potential audiences, you know, but still with it becomes, uh, becomes you know, a strategy and understanding of, of how to uh, help move the needle forward in terms of building that audience base from a revenue perspective. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, a couple of things that you say there, opportunity. Uh, we talked we talk about the, interest, inter, the industry. Uh, Jennifer, please feel free to jump in anytime you hear something that, uh, that you, you believe you have something to, uh, to uh, uh, contribute to. But the, the other thing that I, that I remember uh, from when I, uh, from my early days at uh, CKRZ on Six Nations Radio, um, that, at that time... Not a lot of the, the community-based uh, radio stations in, in, in First Nation communities, for instance, uh, were not uh, SOCAN registered. So there was not, they weren't paying royalties to the, you know, the, to the major majority of Indigenous artists they were playing at that time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know you're, you're right. And, and the, qu- the question becomes, you know, how do you, how do you evolve now? Um, within that, that context or that environment. I, I reviewed and saw all of the responses from all of the interviews that we did, and some of them don't even know what SOCAN is anyway, right? They, right. they don't, they, again, like you said, they're, they're creative, they want to make music, but they don't, they don't work in the marketing or promotion or distribution, and so that industry part is, is where there's a, there's a lot of work that can still be done. Now, I want to get to some of the numbers and things that, because I think people will find that interesting in a moment. But, uh, Jennifer, now that you, you, you mentioned that about seeing the interviews and, and going through that information, was there, was there something uh, through those interviews that you went through that, that struck you uh, the most in terms of what you were reading? Well, actually, I'm I'm actually sort of I can since sort of leave it to Sky because he's sort of seen that and he's seen seen the report. But mm. but what I will what I will say is that when we uh, we put in a proposal to to do this whole study, as you can imagine, it was a massive um, project, and we really wanted to uh, integrate um, a sort of an indigenous focused way of of gathering this information and to be very respectful. Mm -hmm. And so I think the quality of responses that we got, so not sort of general responses, but talking about the quality of responses we got, I I think is partly attributed to the fact that we used a very regional, Indigenous-focused process to gather that information. Because, you know, David, you work in the sort of Indigenous community and, you know, you've got to do it the right way and you really have to involve Indigenous people. So we had a regional team of um, Indigenous consultants, uh, researchers, 
uh, paired with a, a, an indigenous musician from that region because you need people who are tied in, right? How how do you find the musicians that we want to talk to in particular regions? I don't know. I'm based in Ottawa and I'm not a musician, right? So we, we sort of took a real sort of collaborative approach to to find and determine who we could interview and we approached them in a sort of a respectful way and then it was an indigenous person who actually did the interview with them and we did this, you know, in all regions of the country. And so I think that people felt safe. They felt that they could really, um, really speak their mind and say what was what, what they really needed to say. And the fact that this study was done by APTN and, and not some, you know, the, not the government or some other, you know, consulting company. Again, I think they, they felt sort of some reassurance that their information would be used in a, in a sort of respectful way. And so I think overall, that's the thing that I sort of got a sense of when I, when I, when I reviewed all the notes from all the interviews, just that I, people really were, were, were very honest and really sort of spoke from the heart about, about all their issues. And I think not, that doesn't directly answer your question, but it, to me it sort of speaks to the fact that this study does really reflect the voices of Indigenous people. Yeah, and, that's, and Jennifer makes a, you know, elevates a very important point in terms of, you know, it was a huge success just to do the study, but in fact the approach to how we did the study is best practices on Indigenous in, engagement. And, you know, and I, I should really highlight that, you know, this study really had two approaches in terms of the methodology. One was a qualitative interviews, and we conducted 70 interviews across Canada, mixture of First Nations, Métis, and, and Inuit, and non-Indigenous because, you know, there are uh, people who are involved in supporting Indigenous, you know, artists, whether they're on the management side or the, or the uh, promoter side. And then we also had the, uh, the quantitative side, which was the survey, and we had 620 individuals respond across Canada. And, you know, those numbers, which is representative of a, of, of a, of a sample size to lean on um, to, to, to qualify the data, um, it was because of this unique approach that Jennifer just spoke about in terms of grassroots Indigenous engagement, Indigenous people in the industry, and ensuring that we're hearing the voices from all regions of Canada. Yeah, nicely said, and I appreciate all of those comments because they were things that I was going to, uh, as soon as you said about taking a, a regional approach and actually getting into the communities, engaging people in the communities, you really do need to do that kind of thing in order to get the information out because of exactly what you said, Jennifer, that this wasn't the government. People in the communities have a, uh, a, a very uh, strong resistance or, or they're very cautious about handing over information if they don't know where it's going or who's doing it or who's in charge of it. And even then, there's been, uh, there's been cases, I think, in the past where I know of some, some uh, Indigenous uh, people that have worked with uh, other uh, n- non-Indigenous organizations that uh, promised certain things and didn't deliver and of course, that only perpetuates the whole idea that, well, why bother? Well, you know, what's the point? I, we can't trust them. So that whole idea that you mentioned about trust and about being able to get to uh, to get people engaged and and like you said, with APTN on board, I'm sure that didn't hurt. So congratulations to both of you for getting that uh, that done and getting it done correctly and uh, and, and nicely done. Thank you. Now uh, let's get to let's get to some of the numbers. It's really interesting to see. Uh, about uh, how uh, what we saw. Now it's not it's not a big surprise 
to to look at let's say the kind of music that's being done across the board by indigenous music uh, uh, artists um, almost in every province right across Canada uh, we have folk and we have uh, roots rock and we have rock uh, that's it's being done and it's very large in in uh, right across and no surprise we, we know a lot of artists are in that kind of blues and kind of rock and kind of folky uh, traditional kind of, of, of sound that they're they're producing Lesser areas, of course, uh, uh, is jazz, and then al- alternative indie country is, you know, I'd say country is probably on the rise. Uh, rap and hip-hop, uh, R&B and soul, hand drumming, and then, of course, uh, Inuit, indigenous languages, and francophone, um, uh, sort of, sort of uh, more regional and, and those kind of things. But I guess uh, right off the top, the thing that gets me is that... that it's nice to see the numbers and to break it down, as you as you mentioned, Sky, about what can be what was actually brought forward from this uh, report, and that uh, there's that musicians in the industry are making about forty seven thousand or forty eight thousand dollars a year annually from their their musical endeavors. Yes, correct. Yeah, and um, and and about. Um you know, 47% um, is coming, uh, of that is coming from non-music income. So, Yeah, can you explain uh, that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Sure, sure. Well, you know, in fact, I'll, I'll hand it over to Jennifer to, okay. to, to talk on the specific numbers. Sure. Well, again, I don't have the actual page references. There was a lot of numbers and data is thrown out, thrown out there. But I will say that for... Um, for some of the numbers, we, we also partnered with another company called Nordicity, and they did what's called the economic impact, because uh, that's a very specific sort of way of crunching numbers and sort of getting at, at all this sort of thing. But one of the things that people did say was that there's very few sort of Indigenous musicians that can make music full-time, mm. right, as their yeah. only uh, career. Yeah. And so yeah. what, we're, what we're seeing in the data, and I heard in the interviews, is that they, they just can't make a living just as a musician. So uh, that's probably true in, in many cases in, in mainstream as well, but that they've, they've got a number of other sort of endeavors to sort of make money so that they can continue to do their art. Okay. Um, now, the, the total amount contributed, though, to, the, uh, you know, to Canada in the GDP uh, it supports around 3,000 full-time positions and contributes about $87 million to Canada's economy. Is there something to be said about those numbers? Well, I think what, it, you know, really, and, and Jennifer may, may have something else to add, what's really, you know, painting the picture, number one, we have to appreciate that this has never been done before. So we mm-hmm. don't have a bench. This is our first benchmark. Yeah. So we don't have a comparison. But... Even in terms of looking at the mainstream, there, there isn't um, a adequate set of numbers that we can actually even compare to um, the mm. total music industry uh, nationwide. But, you know, in looking at what is available out there to at least, you know, to, uh, to, to paint a bit of a picture and, and the whole study combined, what it's really saying is that we are still in our infant stages of, of the mm. music industry. Although m- Indigenous music... And, and indigenous people have been contributing to the music industry for for decades. Um, you know, when you when you look at all the information that's available in the study, it does paint the picture that there are still barriers and challenges. And for uh, uh, musicians and the and the artists, um, there's still uh, a lot of room for growth and support. And and when we take that into the context of the entire Canadian economy, as I think it 
speaks not just to indigenous uh, music industry, but every other part of the industry where indigenous people are still working and moving forward to be a part of, we have room to grow. And it's an opportunity for Canada. It's an opportunity for everybody uh, to move forward in engaging indigenous people fully in Canada's economy. Right. Mm-hmm. Just wanna, and I would, and I would just say there's, an, there's just a, a, another sort of side piece to this, which is, you know, trying to get at this kind of data um, in, in some ways requires, you know, uh, Indigenous sort of self-identification, which, as you know, is a whole other sort of area of sort of landmines. So how do we know if, what they're contributing unless we actually know that, you know, somewhere they've self-identified that they are an Indigenous, and then, you, you know, then you can use it in data sets. And if we don't have that information, we're, we're not going to get an accurate picture. So like Sky said, it's not sort of been done before, uh, and we can sort of use it at, as, as it is and as we can, but it's going to be very difficult to get sort of an actual sort of number, right, and, and, and do something that's, that's even more uh, robust because there's, there's a number of uh, things that might be sort of barriers or caveats to any data that we do get. Okay, I'm uh, just going to jump in and say that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. My guest on the show, Sky Bridges, the Chief Operating Officer of APTN, and Jennifer David, and she was the Program Manager for Envision uh, uh, Project Group that did this study on the music industry and uh, what they found out uh, and created this National Indigenous Music Impact Study, and that's what we're talking about now. Um, Sky, you said something a couple of times, and uh, it is, uh, uh, of course, accurate to say that, uh, the, the, that this, it's in its infancy in terms of development, for, and, and this is the first time this, this kind of a study has been done, so there's nothing to compare it to. Uh, what's interesting, I, I think, that from this study is it showed that Although uh, the average is around forty-seven, forty-eight thousand dollars uh, annually for for musicians, it's interesting to note that that musicians were working full time, were making more than the musicians that were only working at at, at their music uh, on a part time basis. But of course, the other thing is that I'm I'm wondering about if if you guys have any uh, sense of what the opportunities then will be moving forward. Uh, as you say, this is in its infancy, and there's lots of room. I, I'm thinking especially that there seems to be a different change uh, or approach, uh, especially since uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission brought out its, its uh, you know, report. And, and there seems to be a more an o- an openness, and there seems to be more engagement with Indigenous people. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that artists are going to be part of that. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, you know... Um one of the things that came very clearly in terms of why indigenous, uh, a lot of indigenous people created music was they see music as medicine. Mm. And certainly the path to reconciliation uh, has to do with uh, music as an art form, as a piece of medicine to help us on that journey. And so I, I see, you know, that the artist as just an incredible uh, part because they put a feeling um, to music in terms of where we find ourselves and, and, and where we want to go. Uh, but in terms of, you know, uh, to be more specific on what you're raising on um, how to move, kind of, how, where we go from here, 
I mean, it, what came out of the research was the considerations for building further development was one on, you know, building, you know, relationships. So um, more on cultural awareness training, um, and that has to do with the industry as a whole because uh, it was interesting to see that still two-thirds of Indigenous artists found that there were barriers based upon their the fact that they were Indigenous. Mm. So, I mean, that there speaks to further need on reconciliation and to, to move forward on that. Um, and it also was what came out of that in terms of building relationships is also kind of to move away from the notion of, of Indigenous music, and, and that goes into really just identifying, you know, the artist as, I'm a great artist who, you know, does either jazz or, or whatever it may be, and I just happen to be Indigenous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, increase uh, collaboration opportunities, more mentorships, and better connections between Indigenous musicians and the music industry. So I, I think that, you know, all that are just on building relationships would help artists and the industry move forward in a really big way. Jennifer, go ahead. <laughs> just to add on to uh, what Sky was saying, the one, the one thing that, that I, that, that became sort of clear out of this study was that the, the sort of the music industry part is... Um, is sort of behind where the uh, you know musicians are. So the musicians are getting recognition. Canadians are starting to know who they are. We're hearing them. People are going to their concerts. But the industry side, so Indigenous people in the music industry, people working in promotion or distribution, uh, or you know as promoters uh, or as managers, we're not seeing that growth yet. And that's mm-hmm. where I think there could be a lot more growth. And um, you know we just we just need to see more Indigenous people. You know starting their own, you know, music labels. And we, uh, there are a few, of course, but also, you know, having their own, you know, marketing companies and promoters or working for, for, for big sort of promoters mm-hmm. and companies, you know, because when you get that Indigenous voice in those mainstream um, organizations from the inside, people start thinking differently, right? Looking at a different, a different way of approaching things. And the more Indigenous people you have within those, that's going to see more of a transformation in that industry for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And uh, definitely that, that would help. But I think getting, as you say, that Indigenous voice inside those organizations or helping uh, people create. I know there are, as you say, a number of people that uh, are promoters or have, uh, have their own... Uh, their own companies that do this, but uh, obviously not enough, especially for an industry that is uh, been pointed out. It's in its infancy, and it's only going to grow. And uh, as we uh, all know, there are some amazing artists out there that uh, need to get uh, onto the mainstream uh, radio networks uh, because that's where they, uh, they they should be. They're A-list artists, and they sh- should be up there alongside of uh, Buffy's and. Uh, the Robbie Robertsons of the world. And I was gonna, just going to ask you, Sky. You you, you planted a, um, a a couple of words in there, and I couldn't help but think that you might be a fan of Derek Miller because of his song called "Music Is the Medicine." So I don't know. If... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fantastic artist and a great guy. Yeah, he is, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and to add on to you know, what Jennifer's saying, and really what the study also did uh, in identifying, you know, that there is a gap here, and we also need some indigenous uh, music owned companies mm. in this space. Mm. You know, APTN, uh, as a result and part of this study, has launched Negamo Publishing, which is the world's first Indigenous music library catered towards film and television and commercial use. And so that company just launched uh, the other month, and uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, and, and we need more of that type of activity uh, to further propel uh, the Indigenous music industry. Wow, that's, that's great. That's great news. 
and that was Negamo? Negamo, yes. Okay. Uh, Negamo uh, means uh, to sing. And, and where can people find out more about that? Uh, Negamo.com. Okay, and do you want to spell that out? Yeah, N-A-G-A-M-O. N-A-G-A-M-O. Dot com, is that what you said? That's correct, yes. Okay, so you want to find out more about uh, APTN's uh, publishing uh, and what they've just launched, to go to N-A-G-A-M-O.com to find out more. That's fabulous. Of course, the other thing uh, in a small way that we're doing here at Element FM and uh, also in partnership with APTN, as we're owned uh, by APTN, is we have two stations that are promoting Indigenous music. I hope we do more of that, and I hope we get to promote more Indigenous artists uh, that uh, seem to be falling through the cracks uh, through our playlist. But uh, as we expand and we bring more attention to that, uh, uh, we hope that we can uh, do our part to help promote uh, Indigenous artists right across this country. And to that, you know, I just say hats off to uh, the great work. I mean, you know, we're all part of now what is a, an amazing emerging uh, industry to support uh, in, Indigenous artists, Indigenous culture, and Indigenous people. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's some of the artists, you know, certainly in the survey uh, recognize that and talked about this incredible time that we find ourselves in and, and that uh, it's really a time of Indigenous uh, renaissance. Right, well said. Jennifer, any final words? Uh, I obviously promote the study. I hope people read the study. I do know people in the music industry are reading the study, right. and um, and I just I obviously want to support Indigenous musicians and uh, you know the, the average Canadian to understand how phenomenal uh, our musicians are and you know be able to have access to them. Uh, Sky, I guess the uh, this the study is is available on APTN site. That's correct. Yes, you can find it, and it's probably um, if you even just uh, a Google uh, National Indigenous Music Study, it comes up at the very top. All right, great. Been a pleasure speaking with both of you, and uh, and Jennifer, so nice to speak with you after so long. I haven't had a chance to speak with you in a long time. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. That could be another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, thanks again for joining us, uh, Chimi Gwech and Nyawa, for uh, being on the show with us today. I've been speaking with Sky Bridges, the Chief Operating Officer at the Aboriginal People's Television Network, and Jennifer David, she's the uh, Program Manager at Envision that put this uh, impact study together for the National Indigenous Music Impact Study for APTN. Thanks once again to both of you for being on the show. Make rich. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. And that is our show for today. So uh, thank you for uh, tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. Until then, onigiha. <laughs>